0: I'm Autumn Brown, a queer science fiction writer, a theologian, a mother of dragons, and a healing justice facilitator for social movements living in rural Minnesota. And I'm Adrian Marie Brown, author of Emergent
1: Strategy, co-editor of Octavius Brood, writer, facilitator of black liberation work, auntie extraordinaire, doula, and pleasure activist living
0: in Detroit. And this is How to Survive the End of the World. And
1: right now we're listening to an original song from the Parable of the Sower opera. Um, we cannot believe it. We're super excited. The opera is so amazing.
2: What you gonna do, what you gonna do, what you gonna do, what you gonna do, what you gonna do? what you gonna do well. What you do? This is amazing.
1: The opera is masterminded by Toshi Reagan, a hero of ours, um, who was born into a movement and movement song family, the daughter of Bernice Johnson Reagan of Sweet Honey and the Rock. They spent their entire lives singing and fighting for justice. And now Toshi has been making her own music for decades, and we are super excited to talk with her today about this new project. Well, old project. You'll hear about it. The Parable of the Sower Opera. We are here today for a very, very special special edition of How to Survive the End of the World. And to kind of put us in the right frame of mind, I wanna read this these words from Octavia because I think this is what we're up to and this is what this whole episode is gonna be about. So, it goes like this. A gathering of earth seed is a good and necessary thing. It vents emotion, then quiets the mind. It focuses attention, strengthens purpose, and unifies people, and we are here today. Autumn and I are joined today by basically one of the great spreaders of Earth seed, um, Toshi Reagan. Yeah. We're so excited. Thank <laughs> you. So fireworks are going off, sparklers, sparklers are, are going coming off. out of our fingertips. Glitter. There's Uloy clapping. So um, Toshi, it is a huge honor for us that you are joining us for this podcast, which is really done in a sort of love note to Octavia. Um, and we both feel a lot of love for you and Right now, we're recording this in the heart of your New York uh, premiere of the opera. Is that right?
3: Yeah. Yeah, we're right in the middle of it.
1: The first time I learned of your work, I became a fan of you just as a singer in your own right, like outside of your mom, outside of the parables, outside of anything else. Um, And so I'd love if you want to share with people a little bit about like, what were you doing before this project became such a, a core project of your life? Like um, as a musician, as an artist, kind of what led you to being like, I think an opera is something I need to do with my life.
3: Um, I've always done multiple things. I mean, I've, I've never been, it just needs to be, um, music, you know? Um, my mom raised me to be a producer. Like when I was 13, it was like, I want to be a singer. My mom's like, learn how to be a producer Ooh. And stay away from drugs, cause she was like, you won't have to wait for somebody to tell you what you want to do is is um viable and, and wait for people to produce you. Uh-huh. And she said if you um get too involved with drugs, you it will be the most important thing in your life, and your work uh-huh. will will be secondary. Um, hmm. and so she also told me that I would have no failures as long as i i did my art um and she told me that when i was young um and oh she told me this other thing that was really important which was
2: yeah
3: no one could measure the value of my work it was not measurable
2: Mm -hmm. by any
3: vision of a human like it just just wasn't possible so that i just needed to do it and not worry Uh, so those things really made me have a wide idea about what my possibilities were. And yeah. right away I interned with um a women's production company called Road Work in DC. And they booked um women artists and they produced concerts and I was the like from like fourteen to sixteen and like geeky kid that was running around and doing errands and and then when I was seventeen I produced my first concert. And you know, I started wow. producing my records and yep. I met June Millington who um, basically would, would send me little cassettes of all of the producing and songwriting she was doing so I could learn. And later on wow. when I got like a big fat record deal, I met Nona Hendrix, who took mm-hmm. me under her wing to this day is like another mom. So yeah. I just, I've always felt like I could do anything and I didn't have to do what other people were doing. I didn't have to fit and then, you know, let's face it, I didn't fit in any box that existed right. when I first was working. It was just was not like, you know, your big yeah. bald headed um, black dyke box for music. <laughs> and there's no um, box
0: with that label on it. <laughs> no,
3: I mean, You're still
0: not.
1: Really you
3: know, a it's a thrill right now. Like, I just see so many people, um, you know, who uh, it's amazing what the music world is now.
4: And you see so
3: many people who just refuse straight out. Like, they just don't even try it. They're just like, I'm not even going to try to fit in this category. Um, So I I don't know. I've just been really blessed and really lucky to have community and my mom. And so I've played, you know, multiple instruments. I produce myself recording wise. I produce other people. I produce, I have a festival. Um, I wake up in the morning and usually write a song no matter what's going on. Um, Mm. I'm really that's a great daily
0: practice (laughs) yeah it is it just they just
3: jump me and say we need to be written um I just do a whole bunch of things and of course I love um being on stage and singing in a room full of people like probably the most
1: that's beautiful that's incredible I mean there's okay there's I mean you have an incredible life um and just a lot of love in it um so so inside of this, so you have this incredible life, you know that you can do anything you want to set your mind to, you know that you can work as a producer, um, that you're putting on shows, you're putting on concerts, and then at a certain point, you and your mother um, right, sat down and said, we're going to do the parables. Um, can you tell us a little bit about like what was the journey of the actual Parables Opera from I- the inception of that idea to reaching out to Octavia to
0: actually beginning to to do something and and like why why did it need to be an opera?
3: Mm-hmm. Um, you know we we sing everything, um, so that's the number one reason why mm-hmm. it had to be an opera. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, is we we sing everything and you know we're not very good or at least I'm not very good at like you know writing dialogue and have people stand on the stage and talk to each other. I'm amazed by people who can do that. But, um, you know, <laughs> I can create, you know, uh, a way to do it through through singing text. And mm-hmm. um, and we also my mother um, had all of her her work has always been like this. Like before um, when we came to D.C., she was a music director for D.C. Black Repertory Company. Okay. And she had two pieces. One was called Upon This Rock and the other was called A Day. A life of people and they were um, acapella and sung all the way through, they were amazing. Yeah. Um, mm. So later on, um, she collaborated with uh, the director, Robert Wilson, with the Temptation of St. Anthony, um, an opera based on the Temptation of oh, St. Anthony. Yes. And then I was the musical director and I wrote all the instrumental arrangements for that. And then we did another piece with him um, Uh, is the life of clementine hunter so Mm -hmm. this just started us on our way um of knowing like that that this was going to be the way we would we would do uh, a lot of our collaborations and parable through all of that um you know i would say parable's been around us since about like 98 and and then around 2008 um we had an opportunity to uh, present it at the New York City Opera with um, the late um, Gerard Mortier, who was going to be mm. the artistic director, and then New York City Opera just started to implode, and that season got wiped out, and they got oh. like we only got to do like basically a workshop for two or three weeks. It was beautiful though; it was mm-hmm. amazing, mm-hmm. and a lot of the people in that workshop um, are are in the cast today, so. We didn't waste time, but it, it was, you know, it was like, oh, OK, that's not going to work out now. And then I told my mom I would get it done, but I didn't really know how <laughs> she retired yeah. in 2014. And so she was like, OK, good luck. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: she
1: was like, I
0: trust that you will take the lessons for it and get it done.
3: <laughs> yes, she did. Yeah, she did. Great.
1: Boundaries
0: matter. Well, and can you talk a little bit about um You know how you found your cast, your team. Like you know, and I'm imagining that there's been some rotation of players over the course of time that this that this has been developed, even since the workshop. But can you talk a little bit about how you were able to identify the people who needed to be a part of this?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, really, it's the root of the cast is is the community of uh, a community of artists that I already know and like I said a lot who who were in that initial workshop but even from that initial workshop they were people that you know I already knew like we had already been working with Mm. and then you know the family has just grown and grown over the years and um you know we call it the parable family and so once you're in we don't let you go so (laughs) even
0: even if you're
3: yeah even if you're not um in the mm-hmm. cast on stage for whatever reason you know um people get other gigs and they can't do something or we bring someone else in and then sometimes we have to hold an audition and we find somebody else like whatever it takes but we keep expanding the community of people because we are like in real time with yeah you know the teachings of the story so it mm. it's you know yes it is a, a you know a theatrical company with you know the, the all of the things that you need to set up and sustain that system but um but you know it, it's people and um, and it's a really I mean like people come around us and they're like you guys are so nice and yeah <laughs> you, know, you take care of each other and it really is like that like but we don't we don't really know how to do this story and not actually be people in the story you know what i mean right, yeah so um that's kept us really together because our um urgency and putting it on the stage also meant that um you know we didn't we didn't do like years of rehearsal and years of workshopping and years of of fundraising um you know it was like no it's 2017 we have to do it now um so I insisted like in 2015 um, that it had to debut in 2017.
0: One of the other questions we wanted to ask you Toshi is a bit about, you know, um, as a part of this podcast, we've spent some time talking about our creative practices and and talking about the, um, the work of imagining, the work of imagination as part of like, a, it's like a mm-hmm. revolutionary undertaking um, that, you know, this idea that we're in an imagination battle and that we're kind of existing in a context that was like imagined by someone else and that we have to imagine our way out of it. Um, and, um, so we've done some time talking about our creative practices. We were wondering if you could talk a little bit about your creative practices and in that, in the context of parables, like how has the scale, and length of a project of working on a project like this impact you as an artist? How does it impact your creative practice?
3: Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. It's, it's doing many things at once. I mean, one is, you know, um, being, being close to a parable and reading it and reading it so many times. Um, I mean, I've read it so many times over the years, but now probably in the last year or two, I've just, It's always with me, and um, and I think it. You know, it's taken on this. uh, Like I, I start talking, you know, like I'm in the book sometimes, (laughs) and I can't, Mm. you know. And I'm always saying, you know, what can we shape? Like, what can we shape in this situation? Like, you know, I'll be like, do we have to do this? Like, what could we shape something else? And people kind of look at me like, what? (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs)
1: We experienced this too, Toshi. (laughs) Yes.
3: And um, I think think it also, it definitely has made me think really, really, really more forward. Um, As the older I get, you know, being with the project, um, you know, the older I get, the more I see myself as being of service um, Uh to people younger than me, and to my the the dreams of my elders and my ancestors, um, and mm. the closer I get to being an elder and you know, eventually an ancestor as we all must be, um, mm-hmm. the the more I kind of have found this really wonderful divine space for myself where I really um, am seeing these people uh come through who are so, you know, on that Lauren trajectory, whether they know about parable or not. I mean, so many of my young friends um, are are already in a determination about life Mm. and about their past. Mm. And I mean, little people like I meet who are like eight and nine and 10 say things to me that let me know that they have come here to do something um, yes. Be somebody, and um, and even when they play, they play really well, you know. So yes, um, <laughs>
0: yes.
3: <laughs> and they see so many things, and they're taking it in, and um, and you know, you gather yourself to protect them, not to keep them from seeing things, but to to make sure that they're being a thousand percent supported while while they're willing to see things. And, um, mm. and, and so parables really, um, also strikes this kind of, uh, era of innovation in, in, in black song for me. Um, yeah. so much of, you know, when we were writing it, um, I was looking at Lauren's dad and I kind of was like, Lauren's dad is a little younger than me now. Um, and he's a Baptist wow. preacher. And so my mother, um, my mother's father, my granddad was a Baptist preacher. And um, you know, and I just tried to imagine his trajectory to, you know, all preachers whether they sing well or not sing kind of have a song in their voice. And I tried to mm-hmm. imagine his trajectory towards, you know, his his voice, his singing voice and and how he would use music to, you know, have a sermon or hold his community and what yeah. what you know what Lauren might grow up with um hearing yeah. and learning yeah. um some of the scriptures that Octavia has in the book and then um so that's where this old music um from the 19th 19th century uh some of these spirits and sacred songs come out of in the in the play because we want we want you to know that as far in the future as um Lauren is looking somebody from the 19th century looked as far at us. And so I don't know if that made sense, what I just said.
0: Yes, it it does. does. It does, yes.
3: So so we were the spectacular future of our ancestors, us being where we are, um, us holding the space that we hold. And and I kind of see this music um, still holding a community together. And the conversation between Lauren and her father is Lauren saying, okay, you know, thanks for giving us that, but it's actually not going to work this time. Mm
2: -hmm. And, you know,
3: this time, no. And like, I'm going to hold it. I can, I know what it is. I can hold it. You know, look, I even went and got baptized because I love you, you know, but, but we need actually something else.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I love that there's practices in it, right? It's like coming together, yes. Like praying together, being together, yes. Working together, caring for each other, yes. But what we're moving towards has to be different.
3: Yeah, and bigger and wider. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, every time there's a revolution, if you look, you know, each generation takes off a level of normalcy, you know, Like Mm -hmm. each generation decides to do away with something. So, you know, like if you look at my my grandparents um, um, in in Georgia, um, my grandfather went, uh, had sixth grade education. My grandmother had eighth grade education and they are people who bought land, built a house on the land, had eight kids, grew food, had their animals, got every single one of their kids um an opportunity to go to college if they wanted to. Um, my grandmother washed washed clothes for somebody and they negotiated that system to where that land is still in our family today. And uh-huh. um and so they they navigated, you know, through racism, through segregation. You know, this is a my mother was born in the forties, so you gotta think about them being like yeah. in the thirties <laughs> and then um, getting to these points. And then my mother um, was a part of the civil rights movement. And so she was like, I'm actually not going to navigate within this particular system. I'm not actually right. going to learn how to do segregation. Like, I'm not going to absorb that part. We're going to remove right. that. We're going to get rid right. of that. And so we're mm. going to operate in another place. And then when you get to the 80s, you know, you have like another evolution. Well, this is great that we're going to look at racism and look at segregation and look at these things, but we must, we must have equality for women and we must look at, you know, lesbians, gays in the 70s. And then that category, it gets, I mean, it gets limitless now in the 21st century. Mm. So every generation takes something away that we don't need anymore and increases the space and the circle and the opportunity of what we're going to talk about and how we're going to do it. And it makes it, um, it makes it, 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 you can feel it, you know, hitting the wall of what was there before and the wall yes. of resistance of what is there before. Like how many conversations I have around, you know, some of my friends around um, why you can say they, <laughs> that, yeah, you, know, right. <laughs> you know, why, why do we want to say they? And I was like, I don't know why everybody changed to get African names in the 60s. Like, we didn't have a problem with that. Right, exactly. You know, like, (laughs) let's just... Remember. Yeah. You know, an innovation of language. Like, we've been doing this forever. Like, we're black. We should be the first ones going, they, 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 you know? Right, exactly. So, um, (laughs) you know, every generation pushes against the wall that thinks it may have gotten to a certain point that we can live in and the next gen- generation comes along and says we can't live here
0: right and it's like it's like it's like the it's almost the responsibility of each new generation to see the wall that the other generation can't even see you know that exactly. and it's interesting thinking about that in relationship to parables where like how Lauren sees the wall and how her dad sees the wall are very different like he sees it as protection And she sees it as this like false boundary, right? That like Mm -hmm. container. This false container that's like not actually going to assist or support us.
5: No. Hello, old friend. Have you heard the news today? The whole world's gone crazy.
1: Now, we want to take a moment just to listen to another song from the opera because we can. This one is called As I Open My Eyes to See.
5: Hello, friend. Have you heard the news today? The whole world's gone crazy. Zillions of people moving on the roads trying to find their way. As we gather our hearts and eyes to see the whole world, on the road coming up ahead of us. What's on the road coming up Chains always on our minds. We got crumbling temples and arguments over. i oh, no. your whole body's scarred and tired Carrying all you have on your back Trying to be strategic Figuring out what you got and who
1: I think that it's so pre- it's so prescient. It makes so much sense for this moment where there are still people who are like, we need to save what is and we need to build walls around what is. I mean, our country is, I mean, really right now we have a president who just called other countries shitholes yesterday. <laughs> you know, like we're in this moment of... This oh we gotta protect and save what is and then so many people being like we need to be boundless, boundaryless, boundless. Like we need to be able to move beyond that and that destiny of taking taking root amongst the stars um, begins to feel like oh right <laughs> like that it makes sense even for us for right now. Yeah. Um, and um oh you're so brilliant Toshi I just want you to know that like Autumn and I are sitting here doing this the symbol of like you're blowing my mind. <laughs>
0: Okay. Yeah, we silently excited, like excited, shaking like, our fists wow and,
1: and wag, <laughs> just having like, silent church flying over, flying over here like. <laughs> um just so you know the nonverbal communication is all affirmation over here <laughs> um so um I have another question then I think um, I think we should wrap up because we could go on forever and ever literally. Um, so <laughs> you talked a little bit about this. Like you feel like your, your call right now is to be of service and that you really want to be in right relationship with your ancestors. And so I want to talk a little bit now circling back into Octavia and your relationship with her now, mm-hmm. um, as you're doing this work, as you are, you know, on the stage Um, performing this show and being with others performing this show. Do you feel Octavia with you uh, like on a on a spiritual level or or however you might describe it? Like, do you feel her moving through you? Um, What is your relationship to her like in this moment?
3: Well, I mean, from meeting her, I would have to say I don't and not because she isn't there. Um, She could be or she couldn't be. I don't know. She was not a mushy person, you know, and she didn't, Yeah. you know, she didn't extend out like an energetic field that would be familiar to most of us. You know, she, she yeah. didn't do the things that, you know, we all kind of see as somebody sharing energy or, you know, sharing light or, you know, when I'm around this yeah. person, I feel so, you know, open and available, you know, and that's not what she ever did with me. And I think she had a very, um, you know, close circle of, of people. And, um, and then, and they can probably tell you more than I could ever. Um, but I think her work, um, her, her words on a page and her stories, um, and hearing her talk about, you know, talk, hearing how she thought about things is, is really, really, really with me. I mean, she just Mm -hmm. like, the thing I keep saying is about prediction. Like, She was just like it's really easy, like, and I think we all make everything so complicated about looking forward. And I think I never forget that that it's actually easy to say what's gonna happen. You know, it's like you just start somewhere and you have enough uh, information. You don't need a computer, and you can, you can (laughs) really, um, you can really say like, here's the future based on the now. And I think that. You know, like the the last time I heard her speak, um, somebody asked her something about Katrina and she was just like, look, this is not a surprise. Everybody knows blah, 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 blah. The government knows that this person knows everybody knows, you know, and so she she really was aware of, uh, you know, people also are like she predicted this president. And I'm like, she predicted us. She predicted yes. us yes. letting this man yeah. be the president. She really understood humans and she really understood our inability to actually trust our instincts and make bold decisions when we had to and to stay on a path, even if the path didn't reward us. And, Mm. you know, nothing spells that out like our uh, elections. You know,
2: (laughs) we want (laughs) to be,
3: you know, our votes are like, you know, it's like as if we think they're. They're like money or pockets of gold that we give to the universe. And therefore we hold (laughs) them in this, you know, unbelievably sacred place. And it's a little bit like insane. Like I just, am like, what are we, why are we dealing with this? Like this should be a very simple thing. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. you do vote for the lesser of two evils. Yes, you do, you know, run for office at local levels instead of obsessing about the presidency every, you know, two and a half years. yes. You do work with people you don't like and you disagree with. You have to, and if you don't, you get tyrants with power to make huge decisions over your life. So we, we, you know, nothing says it like like more than that. Like, you know, you don't even have to agree on so many things. You could just be, we're not going to let somebody who's going to kill us, you know, run the country. Yeah, and (laughs) just basic shit. Our desperateness shows when. We see someone powerful like Oprah, um, you know, deliver a speech (laughs) that, you know, was a great speech for a great moment to a a really particular um, group of people trying to, you know, make some change in their industry and have it also affect other people. And knowing the value of when someone goes on television and you're you get to witness them from a faraway place, how it can Mm -hmm. give you some hope. You know, and I know that because I remember seeing the Jackson 5 on TV and I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do that. You know, so I'm not, you know, all of us need to stop hating around the celebrities trying to be powerful thing. But, you know, to to be like, and now she's going to run for office. And then you just see today, if you go to any social media and you look at any articles, we're having the same kind of conversation you know, well, mm-hmm. she doesn't have my vote, you know, <laughs> and you right. know, people are posting it. <laughs> she needs to today, earn it. Yeah, pictures of her <laughs> with Donald Trump. And, you know, and now we basically insane. like we didn't learn anything from the last election. Like the right. last election shows you that it's not a joke and it's not a game and that we need to become um, almost business minded about how we're going to participate as citizens in electing leadership in this country and that it is it is not something that needs to be media driven it needs to be locally driven it needs to be Mm. driven by our indigenous thinking and then it will lead you to you know a president that would be worth you know serving you but you can't go top top down and so I you know I never that never leaves me because in the in the book there are elections and there are, um, you know, government officials and there, all of the infrastructure that we have now is still in place, you know. So it's not right. like the whole world crumbled. It's that, a, right. a, you know, right. a huge part of it is just in the service of these very few horrible, horrendous systems that don't care if you yeah. live or you die and what you're living is like. And so that is with me, you know. 1,000% all the time. I just every day am in that zone.
1: Yeah, and I just want to say thank you so much, actually, because I feel like I remember during the election you using all of your platforms in order to try to inject some reasoning into how people are looking at the election and inject some complexity that it's like, you have to be able to hold, I mean, there's the simple simple piece of just like, we're living here now, we need to be able to do <laughs> the right actions in this moment, even as we move towards a larger vision. But there's also a level of complexity that the people need to be able to uh, see both now and long-term. And to be, you know, keeping your eyes on like there is a prize, but we have to be alive to get there. Um, yeah. So how <laughs> do we how do we take care of that immediate need? So I just want to thank you because I feel like you have been, you know, both as an artist, as a human being, as a parent, um, in all these different ways, continuously being one of those voices of reason, even as you do this massive magical work um, that that lifts our eyes towards something even larger than ourselves and something that connects us to to everyone else and then taking it global right away um, just feels like it, it's such a brilliant move. Um,
3: yeah, it was so, yeah. I just want to say like, you know, what is humbling to me is um, when you, I, I consider myself a person of great wealth, you know, like I'm, I live in a home and I have amazing community and friends. And, you know, if something happens to you and you can pick up a phone and you know, you could call like 20 people, Like you're wealthy and Mm -hmm. um, and you are, you know, you're in a really good place. And I think one of the things that, you know, a lot of us who are operating in that zone of having community, having shelter, having jobs, having money in a bank account, not, you know, not zillions of dollars, but like you can afford to eat tomorrow. um, We can be leaders and we can carry the load of people who are doing other work. Um, as we're doing our progress, Mm. like I, I was like everybody, you know, over 40 vote. And like, if the kids don't want to vote because they're doing something else that will be helpful for us, we should be able to carry them, not having a leader who will kill them while they try to do it. And, you know, that was one of the The saddest, (laughs) you know, that was one of the parts for me, like, we just won't Mm. get strategic with this. And not that anybody liked voting for whoever was there, but I am, But that you are gonna use a strategy to ensure our forward moving. And if young people yeah. don't want to vote because they're like, we're actually tearing the system down. Yep. Then we should we should cover them. You know, Flank. Yeah. we should cover them. Absolutely. And, that is
0: such deep wisdom, Toshi. That is such deep wisdom.
3: Yeah, and I think this one more thing is about um, the current person in the White House Um, Mm -hmm. we all need to take a measure of what he said, but we need to take a measure of it. He talked about a continent of, of people and a country, and he talked about black people on the planet, but we all need to think about like how we are thinking about those places in the world and why they think that they actually can use those places as a testing ground for how far they can go with our country. And all yeah. of us, um, you know, I only went to uh, to Africa for the first time last year. I went to South Africa. Oh, wow. I, I wow. went to Haiti um, many, many years, like in the 90s, um, which I've, mm-hmm. I've never forgotten. But we, we all can like actually take some measure of what they're really saying. You know, this is about the obliteration mm-hmm. of black and brown people on the planet. And this is a mm-hmm. coordinated attack On us and he is not the Mm -hmm. only one in a leadership position with powerful Mm -hmm. weapons thinking like this and so as we like sit here on our outrage on social media and outrage and Mm -hmm. listening to all Mm -hmm. of the people again strategically what is going to be our uh, community move to reject a thousand percent how are we gonna ever make them pay for the things that they are saying about our people And for the intention that they have to destroy us. That is all Mm. this is. All of those people stood around him and didn't say anything except for yep, that's how we feel. And that has just got to be the hugest like, you know, call for the war that they're act, you know, activating on us. And we should take it very seriously. Everybody, if you post somebody, you need to make sure two thousand eighteen that people those people see you somewhere.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think this is super, I think this is super important. Like just to, you know, put a fine point on it. It's like, I feel like you've said this before, but understanding when it is time for action, like when it is time to move out of the digital realm, like it's like, this is a great place to be doing conversation and deeping deepening analysis. But then at a certain point we have to be willing to say, we stop participating in the system and we stop this from moving forward. And what does that actually look like? And I feel like there, to me, this is actually one of the great, exciting moments for why the parables are so relevant right now Mm -hmm. it's just like it's two steps from that you know we're two steps from that reality like it's it's not far and i think we have you know as long as we allow ourselves to operate as if it's far we won't take right action we won't Mm -hmm. feel the urgency Mm -hmm. and there's so much in place to keep us from feeling urgency um so i really appreciate the sort of clarion call inside of what you're saying of like now is the time to act last year right. was the time to act right. the year before that right. was the time to act yeah
3: terrible um, the talents you know terrible uh-huh. the talents they say 2014 i think mm-hmm. is the yep. 14 or 15, 14 right that's when yeah. we kind of let it go and said well yeah <laughs> this is the way to yeah. think about us <laughs> so yeah. all yeah. our gathering right. and, and all of the work that we're doing really 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 matters and, and you two are awesome I really appreciate um, talking to you.
0: You are amazing. And we are so grateful Like this, I feel like this conversation, I, I, you couldn't see me Toshi, but at multiple points I cried. Like I'm just, (laughs) I'm so grateful (laughs) for your wisdom. I'm so Mm -hmm. grateful that you took the time out of this weekend to speak to us. Mm -hmm. And, We are just so every day inspired by what you're manifesting in the world and our work, you know, our work our work is all we're all touching each other right now. And that's I think the feeling that we need to be in, right? That we need to feel ourselves we the energy of our work touching each other. So thank you so much for just your brilliance, just deep appreciation and bows.
3: We love you. Love you too. You guys have a great night.
1: We want to deeply thank Toshi Reagan for joining us today. Um, We wanted you all to get a little taste of how incredible this opera is. If you want to learn more about it, find out ways to bring it to where you are, you can go to parableopera.com.
4: There's a new world coming. Lauren. There's a new world coming. Lauren, stop. There's a new world coming. Everything gonna be turning over. Everything gonna be turning over. Where you gonna be standing when it comes?
2: There's a new world
4: coming. What's gonna happen to us? to get her ready to-
0: credits we have very standard credits thanks for listening to our show we are on twitter and instagram at end of the world pc we're also on facebook at end of the world show you can also make a sustaining donation to our show by visiting our page at patreon.com
1: slash end of the world show
0: um it is really true that another thing that's really helpful that you can do to help us sustain the show is to write a review on apple podcasts if you're an iphone person thank you for doing that
1: and How to Survive the End of the World is produced and edited by the incomparable and beloved Zach Rosen.
0: Music for today's show comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening. Booyakasha. Booyakasha.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Let's stop recording. <laughs> right.
2: I love you.